0: I'm I'm not from Nashville originally. I've lived in Nashville now. I I was, weird story, born here, but then never lived here until about eight years ago and uh, moved to Nashville. And the house that I live in right now, I've lived in for about seven years, and I've lived in that house longer than any other house my entire life. Like, my dad was a Navy guy. We moved like every three years, and I have now lived in this house for coming up on seven years. Feels like a momentous occasion uh, for my family. And, uh, you know, when you live in a house for a while, you kind of develop routines, habits, things that preferences for the ways you wanna do things. And I realized over the years that I developed routines, habits, and preferences in some of the silliest things in life. One of those being the way that I back out of my driveway. And so here's what you need to know. We share a driveway with our neighbors, and so our driveway is kind of T-shaped. You know, it comes off the road like this, and then it it does this and goes, one side goes into my house, the other side goes into our neighbor's house. And for years, for the first three, four years that we lived in the house, I I had a method. You know, I back out of my garage, and I go down and I kind of do this, and then I turn and I go out my driveway forward. And about three or four years into living in our house, the house sold and new neighbors moved in. And man, these new neighbors, they had more cars than the old neighbors. And they also decided to Airbnb a portion of their house, which meant even more cars, which meant that I wanted to back out of my garage. Guess what? Now there was always a car right there, right in the spot where I like to back out. And man, before I met my neighbor, the thoughts that went through my head and my heart towards that neighbor, open <laughs> opened the garage, I back out, I'm like, ah, there's a truck again. Why what, what, did they park somewhere else? Doesn't he know that's where, and here's what's funny. It's actually his side of the driveway that I'm backing in on, but I'm like, ah, oh, the nerve, the nerve of this guy, you know, just like, And then I meet my neighbor, and man, I'm just gonna say you, you could not find a kinder guy on the planet. I mean, Steve is just amazing. Like every time my kids are out there, he'll see him playing, he's like, hey guys, come over here. He's like a woodworker, he'll like, put his saws out, and he's making swords for my boys, and they got swords and shields, and they're out there sword fighting. He builds a little step stool for my daughter, Dahlia. He makes some stilts for my boys to play. I mean, the nicest dude in the world. When we leave town, he always watches and feeds our chickens and gets our eggs. Like he's just an incredible neighbor. And here's what happened, here's what I noticed is that when I I met him, when I got to know him, the attitude in my heart towards his truck being in my beloved spot suddenly changed. Now, when I back out of my garage, no longer is it, oh, I hate that guy. No, it's like when I back, I'm like, oh, Steve's truck. I'll just go around it, not a big deal. <laughs> and I go. Have you ever noticed that though, that when you get to know somebody, when you get to know somebody, the things that seem you know, inconvenient, annoying from a distance suddenly pale, they seem like nothing when you get to know the heart of a person really, really well. And guys, here's what I've learned in walking with Jesus is that the same is true about Jesus is that the more you know him, and the more you know him, the clearer glimpse you get of who he is, it changes everything. Because guys, you know, just like my misconceptions about my neighbor caused this really unhealthy heart posture in me towards him because of how inconvenient he was to my life, Our misconceptions about Jesus have a direct impact on the posture of our heart and our attitude towards Him, the one who asks us to call Him Lord, the one who asks us to surrender everything to Him. You see, knowing Him changes so much. And yet, here's what I also know, is that there are some some realities, you know, we're we're in this series on on just who is Jesus, looking at Jesus, what are the basics of following Jesus? What are the realities of trying to give our lives to him? That's what we're kind of diving into this summer. And and, and here's what I've realized, that there are some realities about Jesus that I could talk about it all day long. I could stand up here and tell you what Jesus is like, describe Jesus to you, read story after story about Jesus to you, and yet there are some things that are only possible in my heart when the Holy Spirit begins to get a hold of my heart. There are some truths about who God are that only become possible in our heart when the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing. Here's what I mean, you know, it's amazing. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter, the apostle, for the first time, acknowledges who Jesus is. He acknowledges that he's the Messiah, and Jesus looks at him, he says, "'Blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, "'because this was not revealed to you by humans.'" This does not come to you because of flesh, but because the Father in heaven helped you know. There's a spiritual awakening that Peter didn't do and nobody else told him it just happened in him. We see the Apostle Paul doing the same thing. He's always praying for the people he's writing letters to. He's always praying that they would be awakened in their heart. Ephesians 3 is one of my favorite prayers and we'll, we'll look at that later in the sermon, but he just prays. He's like, man, I pray... that that, that God would strengthen you and your innermost being by the power of his spirit so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith because Paul knew that there are some realities, some understandings of knowing Jesus that only happen when the Holy Spirit gets our heart. And so I I know I've already prayed twice. I'm just gonna pray again because guys, I'm gonna, I wanna spend some time just looking at Jesus, looking at who he is. And I can tell you all I want but it is only the power of the Spirit that will give you the depth of meaning and understanding of who Jesus is. And so I'm just gonna ask him right now once again. So let's just pray, Lord, we come and we ask. We wanna know you. We wanna know you. And Lord, you know all the things I'm gonna say. And you know that you know the things that need to land in which heart and which way and how, Lord, and you know how to pull back the layers so that we can all encounter you, the, the beauty of who you are. So we just invite you. We invite you. We know we don't have to beg you because you long for it more than we do. Will you come, Lord? Awaken our hearts to who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna, we're gonna look in John chapter 13, okay? And John 13, it's this incredible story, this 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 gospel, this book of the Bible was written by the best friend of Jesus, John, the brother of James, the apostle, the the follower of Jesus. And he's written this story expressly so that those who read it might believe in all that Jesus is. And in chapter 13, you get to this place, it's right before John and the other disciples are about to share their last meal with Jesus. Okay, right the last meal before Jesus goes to the cross cross and dies, and so that's the context for what we're reading. So look with me in John chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the word of the Lord from John 13. Now, this is a very popular story uh, in church circles. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you've heard the story of Jesus washing the feet. In fact, we even use like foot washing as like a metaphor or an idiom now. You know, we'll talk about a, a ministry and we'll be like, oh, that's a foot washing ministry. And well, all we mean is it's like a service oriented ministry. It's a ministry that is geared towards taking care of the needs of others. And it's an incredible story. I mean, one of the things I love about this story is that if you wanna understand the type of guy that Jesus is, I mean, remember, sometimes we forget, like Jesus was a very real man who just walked on the earth. And if you're going, man, what kind of guy was he? What would it have been like to be friends with that guy when he was on earth? And I love this story because it captures the quality of Jesus's character. You know, Jesus... He's that type of friend, I don't know if you've ever been around someone like this, where you get together with a group of friends for like a dinner party and everybody eats their fill and you're at the end of a really good meal and your belly's full, and you just wanna kinda just sit there and enjoy the the goodness of a full belly. Maybe sip a cup of coffee and a small piece of dessert as y'all just revel in the goodness of the meal that you just enjoyed. And Jesus is that friend in the middle of when everybody else is starting to just kinda sit there and enjoy the meal. He sneaks away and goes into the kitchen and begins to tidy up and clean up all of the dishes so that everybody else can enjoy that moment of stillness. You ever had a friend like that? You know, Jesus Jesus is that friend when you've had an insanely busy week and and you're so stressed and there's things to do around the house, maybe the yard needs to be mowed and you just know you're not gonna get to it because you've had too much going on, Jesus is that friend that just shows up because he knows it needs to be done and he mows your yard for you. Jesus, Jesus is that type of friend that, you know, I remember when I was in college, I lived in a dorm room with a bunch of other guys. Man, if one of us got sick, it was like, you're on your own, bro. See you later. Just stay in bed. Don't come near us. Don't get us sick. We don't want anything to do with what's going on. Jesus is that friend that doesn't clear himself away from you, but he draws near to you. He brings you what you need while you're stuck in bed, sick. He might even clean up after you, after you've been sick. This is the type of friend that Jesus is. And, and it's like, man, no wonder wanted, people wanted to be around him. Who does not want a friend like this? And you know, in a series like the one we're in on what it means to the basics of following Jesus, as I read this story, the obvious application that stirred up in my heart was like, okay, if we all say we want to follow Jesus, then that means that we need to be a servant-hearted friend like Jesus. But the more I wrestled with it, I went, okay, that answers one question. That answers the what of following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? It answered the what, but I found myself wrestling with the idea that, man, it doesn't quite answer the how. How do we do that? I don't know how many of you have tried to be this kind of selfless friend, and yet at the end of the day, it seems like we always come back and end up focusing on ourself. Man, it doesn't matter how hard I try to be selfless. It just seems like I always end up focusing on number one. I always end up looking at how it's gonna affect me. And sometimes I will even do selfless-looking things because I know that others will see it and it will make me look good. (laughs) It's like, man, how depraved am I? And I began asking this question: like, Lord, I know you want us to live like this, but man, how do we do it? Is it possible? Is it possible for a human being that seems to be naturally wired for self-preservation, for self-focus, for self-gratification, for self-centeredness, is it possible for a broken human like me to become as selfless as Jesus? And if so, how in the world does that happen? And you know, I I think the, the how, I love it, we see it answered in this story. John, Jesus' friend, he gives us the answer, like, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus manage to be that selfless? And I love what he says. Look in verse 3. He says, Jesus knew, this answers the how, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. So he got up. You know, the basic simple answer into how this, how Jesus did this, how he did it was this, that Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he came from God, he knew he's returning to God, he knew that God had put all power under him, that he had access to all power, and then he got up. Jesus knew who he was. He did not have an inflated view of himself, if that's even possible, He also did not have a lower or a falsely humble view of himself. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He could not be manipulated by flattery, by people trying to puff him up. He he could not, you know, he he, he, he did not like, he did not have this, this need to prove himself or to prove anything about who he was to anybody else. His power did not corrupt him in any way, man, he just knew exactly who he was. And knowing who he was empowered him to be lowly. It empowered him to go lower, to be the servant. You know, I'm convinced, I've become more and more convinced of this, that the way forward for any follower of Jesus who wants to look like Jesus It is not Aaron, try harder to be more selfless. Aaron, try harder, Aaron, try harder. Guys, I'm just telling you the way forward is very much like it was for Jesus. Yes, part of it is I need to know myself. That's what the culture would tell you. Hey, know yourself and everything would be great. But I'm just telling you guys, that's secondary to what I'm about to share. The way forward, the primary way forward in the how is to know Jesus, to know him to know him intimately in the fullness of who he is. And then secondarily, you know yourself and know who you are. The way forward is to know him. And when I say know him, I don't just mean know some stories about him. I don't just mean have kind of a general respect for Jesus as a good religious teacher or you know as a mystical sage or a spiritual life coach no I, moving into true selfless Christ likeness begins with knowing fully truthfully who Jesus is and here's what i want to do is man fortunately we have we have this incredible gift that reveals so many facets of who Jesus is and this and the partnership with the holy spirit i think just awakens our heart to be able to understand who he is and here's what we're going to do we're going to zoom out from john 13 we're going to come back to john 13 but we're going to zoom out a little bit because john just makes this statement like yeah he knew who he was came from god going back to god knew that he had all power like it's this matter of fact little thing but guys we're going to zoom out from john 13 to get a bigger picture of what john knew to be true about jesus the fullness of his identity and who he is you know, some of you, um, some of you may know this. Most of you probably don't. But like, uh, for the first three weeks of June, uh, I got the gift of being able to go on a sabbatical. So I got to completely unplug from all things work. No email. No, no anything. It was like, man, I'm just. I, I pulled back with my family. I got a lot of time with my family. And the purpose of this sabbatical was simply for me to reset my heart with the Lord. And I got some incredible time with my family. And but part of the sabbatical was I took a, I took two two full days to just be alone in the wilderness, just to be in solitude and seek the face of the Lord. And part of the place that he led me was to read the entire Gospel of John, and I, I didn't know why, and I opened it up, and this simple question came to my mind. The simple question was this, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I'm like, man, if anybody could tell me who he is, maybe it was the guy that walked with him the closest on this planet. And so I just started reading the Gospel of John, And guys, my heart was just recaptured. My heart exploded for the bigness of who Jesus is. And for the rest of the morning, I just want us to take a closer look at the bigness of who Jesus is. And you know, as I read through the Gospel of John, all these realities, these truth statements about who Jesus is began to erupt in my heart. I just started writing them all down. By the time I got to the end of the book, I'd written over 40 different descriptions of the bigness of who Jesus is. And I'm just going to read this, okay? I'm going to read over. These are all statements directly from the Gospel of John that describe who Jesus is. And I want you to receive this however you want. I I intentionally did not give you this list because I want you just to listen. Now, we've made copies of this. It's available online, which I'll give you how to get that in a minute. It's in the lobby. But before you think about getting this list, I just want you to listen. Listen to the description of the glory of Jesus as seen in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the one through whom all things were made. He is the life and the light of all humanity. He is the one who gives light to all who are in darkness. He is the glory of the one and only Son from the Father God. He is the bearer of grace and truth. He is the one and only Son, listen to this, who is God, John one eighteen. He is the one with the closest relationship with the Father. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the spirit baptizer. He is God's chosen one. He is the rabbi or teacher. He is the Messiah or Christ, God's anointed one. He is the bridegroom of God's people, the imitator of the Father, the eternal judge. He is honored as the Father is honored. He is the great giver, the giver of life to the dead, the giver of living water, the giver of peace, the giver of complete joy, the giver of eternal life, the giver of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the bread of life. He is he who has the words of life. He is the Holy One of God. Jesus is the gate for his sheep and he is also the good shepherd that leads his sheep through the gates. He is one with the Father. He is the King of Israel, King of the Jews he is the Lord on his throne as seen by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah six. Now that sounds random, but if you've never read Isaiah six, 800 years before Jesus was on the earth, this man Isaiah gets a divine vision of the heavens and the glory of the Lord filling the room. And what John tells us is it was Jesus on the throne that Isaiah fixed his eyes on that brought him to his knees, staggering under the weight of glory. Jesus is the sent one and the one who sent he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the only way to God the Father. He is the revelation of the Father. He is the true vine. He's the only source of good fruit. He is the co-owner of the universe with the Father. He is risen from the dead, and he is the one who sends his followers into the world with the gospel of good news. This is who the gospel of John holds out, that Jesus is. This is Jesus. Jesus. This, he is the one that we, that we give our lives to. This is who Jesus is. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to, to know him, if you want the fullness of walking with him, we have to allow Jesus to be fully Jesus. You see, what happens if you have a small Jesus, then you have a small response to Jesus. If you have a small Jesus, then you have a small level of obedience to Jesus. If you have a small Jesus, then you have small faith in Jesus. Guys, when we diminish any part of who Jesus is, we miss out on part of what it is that he's trying to give us. And, and this is very practical. This is not just like this you know, sky-high theology. I want you to understand, like this week, this week we're fasting together. Like on Wednesday, we're gonna fast. And I'm just gonna tell you that if, man, if you don't know Jesus as the bread of life, then fasting feels hopeless, burdensome, and pointless. But Man, when, when you get a glimpse of him, when you understand him as the bread of life that sustains us better than any physical food we could put in our mouth, then man, you're ready to let go of anything to take hold of him. Man, when, when you diminish the all-encompassing beauty of who Jesus is. He's beautiful. I don't know what it is that catches your eye and makes you freeze and your heart skip a beat, but I'm just telling you, Jesus is better. He's more beautiful. And when we diminish his beauty, then we become enraptured with the things of this world and we become deceived to think that lesser things are the greater things and we miss out on the greatest thing. Guys, we have to allow our hearts to meditate on, to take in the limitless wonder, the breathtaking beauty, the matchless splendor of who Jesus is. You know, I I wanna encourage you, get this list. Get it as you leave here today, the hard copy. You can find it online. We have a slide, there's a URL. You can go to ethoschurch.org slash jesus Get the list and just spend some time this week, like meditate on it. All the scripture references are there. Go read about who Jesus is. You know, and this is just one book of the Bible. You know, if you keep zooming out, I love it. There's so many different places where we get this incredible picture of who Jesus is. The same guy, John. He would be the one that would go on to write the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible that most people, we don't know what to do with. It's kind of this weird, crazy collection of visions. But guys, here's the simple truth. Revelation, in chapter one, verse one, it says, Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You read the book of Revelation and what you're getting is a revealed picture of the glory of Jesus and you get all these different pictures of who he is. And one of my favorites is in Revelation chapter five. You see, John, the same guy that sat at the meal with Jesus, his eyes are open to the spiritual reality and he is somehow lifted and able to see into the throne room of heaven. And there in the throne room of heaven, he's weeping because there's no justice on the earth and he's longing for someone who is worthy to bring judgment on the earth, to bring justice. And as he's weeping, he looks and he sees the throne and there's the lion of Judah, the root of Jesse, Jesus himself, and he looks like a lamb who was slain. And as he's looking at Jesus on the throne as the slain lamb, the entire host of heaven just erupts in praise going worthy, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain and John's ears and his heart are just filled with this reverberating chorus of worthy, 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 worthy. They say Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of power. He is worthy of wealth. He is worthy of wisdom. He is worthy of strength. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of glory. All of these things that he's worthy of, they're just singing it. And I love this. You begin to ask the question, man, what makes him worthy? What makes Jesus worthy of all power? Guys, can you think think of any human being that you would trust with absolute power? Absolute. I mean, I think about every time we have a presidential election, one of the things that comes up in the US is like, man, man, whoever this man or woman is, it's like, whoa, do we, man, we gotta think about the fact that when they come into the Oval Office, they have the power to open this thing and push a red button that can launch nuclear war. Do we trust them with that kind of power? Are they worthy of that kind of power? And all of us kinda go, I don't know, is any human worthy of that power? What about wealth? Can you think of a single human being that you would trust with the entirety of the wealth of the universe? We've all seen what wealth does to people, right? We've seen that immense wealth has this tendency when combined with power of corrupting even the best of human beings. And yet here they are, the host of heaven, calling out to Jesus, worthy, worthy, worthy. What is it that makes him worthy? How is worthiness ascribed in God's economy, in the kingdom of God? And I love it. They say it very clearly. They say this. He is worthy because you, Jesus, were slain. You're worthy because you were slain. You're worthy because you laid down your life. Guys, if you wonder like what in the world, what makes Jesus so worthy? Guys, Jesus is worthy of absolute power, absolute wealth, absolute strength, absolute praise because he has shown us what he will do with that kind of power and that kind of strength. He laid down his life at the cross. He laid it all down. Now, here's the thing that I've wrestled with is I think sometimes in our culture, The idea of Jesus dying for us can feel just a little too abstract. Like many of us kinda just go, well, why did he have to die for me? You know, the reality is in our culture, we've become detached from the idea that our sins have any real consequence. We don't, we don't, we just don't understand the weight of sin. We don't understand that the things, the, the, the evilness that's in our own hearts, the wickedness that's in our own hearts, the selfishness that's in our own hearts, we don't understand the consequence, the weight of it. And so it's hard for us to get our minds around this idea that somebody would have to die for us. And this is one of the things that I love about the story in John chapter 13. We're gonna zoom back in on John 13 here. You see, John 13 gives us this relatable and human picture of why Jesus is worthy of absolute power, absolute wealth, and absolute glory. What does Jesus do with his power? In the middle of a meal, he gets up He gets on his knees and wraps a towel around his waist and he washes the dirtiest part of the disciples' bodies, their feet that are caked with mud and with dirt and with donkey manure and sheep poop. And he gets down there and he starts washing their feet with his hands. Guys, he's about to eat with those hands. He's about to pick up food and put it in his mouth. He didn't have a pump of hand sanitizer like sitting beside the table that he could clean his hands off with, but he gets down and he starts scrubbing the gunk off of his friend's feet so that they could enjoy a meal with him. See, it's a beautiful picture there. Right there at the table It's this beautiful picture, the symbol of what Jesus did at the cross. He met them at their dirtiest to clean them up so that they could enjoy a meal with him. Guys, this is what Jesus does at the cross. He met us in our dirtiest state, the thing you were most ashamed of, the thing you've always hoped that nobody would know about you. He meets you in that place, the thoughts that you've had about other people that you hope nobody ever finds out about, the despicable things that you've done or said to somebody else. Every bit of shame, guilt, brokenness, selfishness, he meets us right in the middle of it and he cleans us up. He says, hey, all the weight of what you carry, I'll take it right here. I'll take the weight of it. He laid down his life for us so that we can feast with him. Guys, I don't know what your picture of heaven has been, but I'm just telling you, it's way better. (laughs) It's way better than anything you're imagining. You know, we will actually feast with Jesus. Go read Isaiah 25, beautiful. We will feast with him and he meets us and he cleans us up so that we can feast with him for eternity. And it starts with just knowing Jesus, man, knowing him. And the more we know him, we get this clearer picture of who we are. And we begin to realize, man, we need this. I love if you keep reading the story and this is where we'll land the plane here. If you keep reading the story, verse six, So Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you gonna wash my feet?' (laughs) And Jesus replied, "'Do you not realize now "'what I am doing, but later you will understand?' "'No,' said Peter, "'you shall never wash my feet.' "'And Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash you, "'you have no part with me.'" Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, "'Not just my feet, but my hands and my head.'" As well and I love this response of Peter guys if you want to understand who you are in light of Jesus most of us are like Peter in one of two ways the first thing Peter says is ah, I don't really need that I'm okay Jesus don't wash my feet A lot of us think we don't know that we need we don't know that we need it or we don't want to need it and then when Peter finds out, he says, well, you don't have any part with me. And Peter's like, okay, then just do all, you wash all of me. You know, So Peter's like, yeah, I'll just show you, Jesus, how, how much I want it. Let me just prove to you how much I want it, Jesus. Guys, I, the simple truth is that who we are, we are broken image bearers of God that need redeeming. There's holiness in all of us because we bear God's image, and yet there is brokenness in all of us that needs redeeming. We all need Jesus. Man, this morning, my prayer is that we would all have a chance to just to be the recipients of the abundant grace of Jesus. And there are a couple ways this could look. So for some of you, you've never given your life to Jesus. Either because you didn't have a clear enough picture of who he was, or you're just kind of scared, or you didn't know if he was worth it, or you didn't know that you needed to guys, I'm just gonna tell you, if you have not given your life to Jesus, you, you can do it today. You can give your life to him today. And if you wanna do that, if you're curious about how to do it, we'll have men and women at the respond banner. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to show you how you just let Jesus be your Lord, how you let him be your savior. We can talk to you about baptism that's coming up. Like you can give your life to him today if you wanna do it. And some of you, some of you, man, you just need to know him more and you know you wanna know him more. And you've maybe wondered how to do that. And this is, gonna, this is this is where we'll finish. I I wanna just pray for you. Now, we've never really done this kind of thing here. Okay, so, uh, but I'm, I'm just gonna ask everyone in just a minute to close your eyes. And here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask, the reason I'm asking you to close your eyes, I'll tell you, is because I'm gonna ask some of you if you just wanna know Jesus more. You just wanna know him more. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in a minute. And the reason I'm asking you to close your eyes is I don't want anyone to feel pressure like they have to raise their hand because everybody else is, or I don't want you to feel like everybody's staring at you, okay? And I'm gonna pray Ephesians 3 over anyone that just wants to know him more because I believe it is the Holy Spirit that will empower us to know him. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Man, if you just wanna know Jesus more, just raise your hand you just want to know him more, raise your hand. It's awesome. If you want to know Jesus, raise your hand. Just keep it up. And I'm just going to pray. Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, that you will strengthen us, strengthen every person that has their hand up right now. You will strengthen us with power from your spirit in our innermost being, Lord, so that Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Come on in, Lord. We wanna know you. And I pray that we, all of us, being rooted together with all of your people, may have power together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. Help us to grasp it, Lord. Give us a new insight this morning. Give us new revelation. Help us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, we invite you, help us to know you more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory and power and strength and honor and praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. We're gonna take communion together as we always do. And here's what I want to invite you to do is to take communion. I'm just gonna invite you, if you raised your hand or if you felt a stirring in your heart, share it with someone. Take communion and share with one another. Share with one another what attribute of Jesus is just making your heart come alive. And if you wanna give your life to Jesus, man, tell somebody, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. I love y'all very much. Let's get communion. The supplies are on the bar, they're on the tables. You can get it in the lobby. Let's take some time to open the cup and break the bread, the body and the blood of Jesus poured out for you and his grace given to us.